You're listening to episode 23 of Chirps, a St. Louis Cardinals podcast for birds on the black. He's Alex, and I'm Tara, but this week we brought in a friend. It's a crossover episode this week on Chirps. Hey everyone, this is episode uh, 23 of the Chirps podcast. I don't want to steal uh, Seeing Red's bit, but I feel like I'd be remiss not to mention David Freeze and uh, also Fernando Tati Sr. Uh, anytime I mention the number 23 uh, and also the Cardinals. Uh, Tara Wellman is not here today. That's why I'm doing the introduction. She's actually in St. Louis at the Cardinals game, uh, the game at which they're currently up 4 nothing. Goldschmidt just homered, so that's good. Uh, but joining me is Ben Godar of Viva Albertos. Ben, how are you doing? I'm doing excellent. Thank you so much for inviting me on. Yeah, this is like a, uh, I guess, crossover episode. Yeah, that's right. Uh, like Arnold on, a, I don't know, Arnold on Silver Spoons, I feel like that. Right. It's, it, it's like all Cardinals blogs and podcasts exist in the same, uh, the same universe somehow. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, are, are you the longest serving Ben at Viva Albertos now? You know, uh, there's been a lot. There's been it, at least four. Is that no, there, there have been a lot of bends? I do. I do think I am the senior most Ben now. So um, I should update my business cards accordingly. But uh, <laughs> congrats on that. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. You. Uh, I, I believe last month you wrote a piece that I just loved uh, about Mike Shannon, and uh, I think what I really liked about it is you know the Cardinals fan base can be pretty fickle i think that's fair to say yeah. uh, we have a very good fan base but it, we're we're a shifty bunch um yeah you know we we don't always agree on everything but shannon seems to have what's close to um 100 approval rating and i think that's pretty rare uh one do you agree with that and two wh- what is it why do why do we love him so much in your opinion, yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I would agree. I mean, I don't, I don't run into many Cardinals fans who say they they don't like Mike Shannon. And uh, to be honest, I don't run into many fans of, of other fan bases that don't that don't like Mike Shannon either. Um, you know, I you know, I, I think he's just uh, he he just really is kind of an original. You know, um, I mean, he's 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 both genuine and just kind of one of a kind. Uh, I think in that piece. I, uh, I referred to him as a jazz musician with the English language, <laughs> yeah. um, which uh, I don't know. Just like that really kind of hits on it for me, you know, because just the, whether it's, you know, just the phrases he uses, you know, the, you know, the old Abner's done it again, you know, or just any of those or, or just in that piece specifically, I was talking about names and, uh, you know, the way he was pronouncing names in spring training and, you know, just finding, you know, vowels and sounds where no one else would find them. But, but it's just so kind of like, you know, fun and free and he's having a good time and, uh, you know, and he still does a good job of kind of calling the game and putting you in the action. Uh, I mean, every now and then he, uh, you know, doesn't do as well at that as he perhaps could, but you know, but he's still, he's still, you know, accomplishing that and doing it with a lot of, uh, color. So yeah, I don't know. That's what I feel like. What do you, what do you think? I assume you're a, a, a Shannon lover. Yeah, I, I love Shannon. I, I think it's a combination of things. I appreciate the fact that he treats the game with the amount of seriousness it deserves, yes. which is not always a ton. You know, he, he doesn't seem to agonize over um, when things go poorly quite like uh, I think we do, yes. um, quite like a lot of the fans do. And yeah. when he does get upset, you know something is off. Yeah. Like there was, I believe uh, – I want to say it was in 2017 where he kind of just went off on the team. And it was yeah. almost like when grandpa would yell at, you yeah. know, like, yeah. like if, uh, you know, my, my grandpa would like spoil me, you know, so uh-huh. if he was yelling at me, that means I really did something wrong. Yeah. I kind of felt like that's what was going on with Shannon there. I, I agree. It was, it was like kind of one of the, the signs of like the, the, the impending end of the Matheny era was, you know, there was just, there was definitely a point where he'd lost Shannon and, you know, he was just kind of, oh, here we go again. You know, he just, you could really hear the frustration coming through in a way that you don't always hear. But um, no, I think that's a really good point about his, you know, level of seriousness too. Cause I, I feel like that's one thing that consistently kind of grates on me about particularly the kind of 
ex ball players who, you know, move into the, uh, you know, the broadcast booth is just, you know, a lot of them kind of come in with a certain kind of, you know, sort of red ass spirit and, you know, kind of, this is how it should be played. And, you know, like that. And, you know, and Shannon, you know, uh, who is a guy who played, you know, many years ago. And, and I mean, granted, he's not always, you know, he'll, he'll let you know if the ball went through a, you know, a shift where the, you know, the shortstop would have been playing normally or something, but, but for the most part, yeah, he's, he's relaxed. He's having fun. And, you know, he's still, he's still enjoying the game as much as we are. Yeah, and I think another great thing about Shannon is he tells wonderful stories about, yes. you know, when he played and about Red and all these kind of characters that he came into contact with. Yeah. But I never get the sense that it's like, this is why it was better in my day. Yeah. He's, he's just telling stories. He's just a storyteller. Yeah, I swear there was... I was listening to, I think it was a spring game, and this was a couple years ago, and he starts telling this story about, I may have some of the details wrong, but I believe he was telling a story about Harry Carey and Elvis pulling up, like, in a car together, and, like, inviting him to get in the car with him, and, yeah, I say, oh, you know, get in the car, and then, oh, oh, ground ball to shortstop, and that's the end of the inning, and I was like, no, no, and then he came back, and he didn't finish the story, I was like, I was like, I don't care about this, like, you know, spring training game against the Marlins, like, I want to hear about Mike Shannon and Harry Carey and Elvis out on the town one night, so, um, anyway, yeah. That's excellent. I wish I, I wish I would have heard that. I, pre- I hope uh, I didn't. I hope I didn't dream it. I feel like it really happened, but that sounds like something that absolutely it, would have yeah, happened. Yeah, at, <laughs> at least something he absolutely would have said. At least. Yeah. So, so as I said, I'm recording this during the uh, the Cardinals Dodgers game, second game in the series. Cardinals are four zero in the uh, sixth inning. To just kind of give you some perspective of. Of where we're at, Cardinals are sitting at five and five uh, on the season, which is third in the NL Central, uh, a few games behind the Brewers, uh, who sit at the top, and the Cardinals are at near thirty-eight percent chance of making the playoffs per Fangraphs. If that's something, I don't know, is that something we care about? Ten games into the season, I, 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 I do. I mean, I probably but, shouldn't, but I'm irrational, so I'll, I'll pay attention to that. <laughs> you know, I. I, just to deviate a little bit, I was watching last night's game, and I, I don't know if you watched it, but both Joe Kelly and David Freeze, of course, got kind of like their requisite hands from the crowd. Did you see that? Uh, I you saw, um, you know, I saw Kelly, but I actually didn't see the moment. I, I was out of the room or something when he kind of first ca- uh, came into the game, so I didn't, uh, I didn't see it. I did see the the you know uh, the Freeze moment. Okay. The only reason I bring that up, and I'm kind of springing this on you because it's not something we, we discussed beforehand, but it's something I just thought of. That's right. Last I was, I was in an improv group in college. I'm ready for anything. <laughs> All right. We'll give me a location and a podcast topic, and I'm ready to go. So last week at this time was when Bryce Harper was uh, returning to D.C. Yes. And national fans kind of got a lot of crap for – booing him when uh, all he did was, you know, fulfill his contract and then went to go play for another team um, as is his right. Um, But I, I think booing, especially booing a player on a rival team Mm -hmm. and especially a player who used to play for your team and chose to go play for another team, forget the circumstances involved. Um, I think that's always a loss. And I think that's always fine. When, so one, do you agree? It sounds like you do. And two, when did this shift kind of take place where that's not, you know, I, right. I, I think it's kind of turns into this like player versus ownership thing, which believe me, if I ever, right. if fans ever get the chance to boo the learners, I'm sure right. they yeah. absolutely will. And yeah. as they absolutely should, yeah. but those opportunities don't quite present themselves as much as, well, you know, getting to boo a player. It's, it's all a good fun. It's not like, yeah. did you- what happened, what we saw in the NBA right. with Russell Westbrook at that jazz. Did you did you see on uh, I noticed on Cardinals opening day and I don't remember this in the past but uh Mo and the owners took the field. Did you see that? I don't I I did not. So this was what last uh, was that Friday? Uh, yeah, or Thursday or whatever. But you know the first game, you know after the, you know the the Clydesdales and the pickup trucks and all right. of the you know, the, the Cardinals Hall of Famers, then suddenly, uh, uh, you know, coming out of the dugout is uh, Bill DeWitt and, uh, you know, Bill DeWitt Jr. and Mo like, taking the field. And I, I had that thought to myself. I was like, if I'm there, I think I would boo just, uh, you know, 
yeah. on general principle, I'm going to boot her chips. Absolutely. So, um, so that felt a little gross to me, but, um, no, I'm, I'm glad to hear that you're, uh, you're on team booing with me because I feel like a lot of the, uh, you know, you and I, I think both kind of swim in the, uh, you know, kind of high-minded intellectual waters of baseball Twitter. Uh, and uh, But this is one area where I feel like I break from a lot of those people. And I guess I approach it kind of like, uh, you know, I, um, I've i been a fan of professional wrestling over the years. I don't follow it super closely, um, you know, but I, you know, to me, a lot of the fun there is, you know, you got the face and you got the heel and, you know, you boo at the heel and, you know, and I, I feel like, that's just a fun way to engage in a sporting event. So, um, so yeah, I absolutely, uh, you know, I'm all about booing, uh, another team, you know, a great player on another team. You know, I can recognize they're a great player, but, um, you know, I'll boo Javi Baez, you know, I'd be pretty happy if Javi Baez played for the Cardinals, you know, <laughs> like, I mean, he's, sure, a- he's, absolutely. Pretty, he's absolutely. pretty good at baseball and he plays in a really fun fun way but when he's on the other team he's a you know he's a villain and so i'm gonna play my role by uh, by booing at him so um you know but it's interesting like uh yeah you're right you know freeze and kelly um I, maybe there's something with the way guys leave too i mean what you know with Pujols coming back this year what do you think i th- i feel like if he played in st louis that next year i think there would have been there would have been cheers but there definitely would have been boos don't you think absolutely yeah no, I, I think he's going to get uh, almost all cheers. Uh, I'd be shocked if I heard a single boo. And I think that's absolutely how it should absolutely. be. Um, you know, time heals, heals wounds. And I think, you know, one day in the future, Bryce Harper will return right. to uh, Nat Stadium. And he'll get, you know, cheered more than he gets booed right. as well. Uh, right. Yeah, but but in 2012, there were, you know, plenty of guys who had modified their Pujols jerseys to make the five a dollar sign that would have been – you know, booing with tears streaming down their cheeks. So, um, yeah. And I, I wasn't quite one of those guys. Um, I, I think, you know, but he also didn't go to the Cubs, Yeah, you know, he, he went to the angels. If he had gone to the Cubs, even if right. it had totally been the Cardinals ownership, ownership's fault, I think I would have recognized right. that, but still said, no, you're on the Cubs right. now. I, it's my duty to. Yes. Move. Yes, absolutely. And so I, I wonder if, yeah, I, I think if Harper had gone to, like, say, the Giants or, I don't know, like the Padres mm-hmm. or one of those other kind of teams that were rumored, I think, you know, you probably still would have heard some booze, but probably would have been a lot less. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's tough coming back to your old, you know, your old home, like, you know, what do they play? I guess they play, like, 19 times. I mean, that's the whole series, so something like half of that. Or do they play, with 18? I don't know. However many games they play against, in, you know, in division rivals, it's a right. lot of games. And, uh yeah, that's that's tough. I think it's also worth pointing out that this doesn't bother or hurt Harper at oh. all. And in fact, he probably I don't know if he likes it, but it certainly doesn't oh. if any it does, certainly doesn't hurt his performance in any way or we certainly don't have any evidence. Well, the reason does. I mean, I think the reason that Bryce Harper, though he is not the best baseball player is by leaps and bounds the most famous baseball player is you know, he understands how to play to the crowd. And so he understands when he's the hero and he understands when he's the villain and he can, you know, play into that. So I agree a hundred percent. I think he, he, he gets what's going on and he knows how to, you know, play that role for maximum effect. No, I agree. And I'm, I'm happy you're on, on my side on this. Cause Absolutely. like you said, it, it, uh, it was a lonely place to be on Twitter, I guess that next Yeah. Well, I well, and we haven't, we haven't really mentioned Hayward, but that's, I feel like where it really came up is I feel like there was a real sort of moral reckoning, you know, when Hayward first was coming back about, you know, would you boo or would you not boo? And I a hundred percent would have booed, you know, um, I, I, I wrote an article about, um, but yeah, speaking of Hayward and speaking, that kind of brings us back to the Cardinals, which I guess is probably where we should be anyway. Um, we were going to kind of look at, you, you know, we're 10 games in this season. Thought it'd be a good idea to kind of look at the Cardinals, I, I guess they're hitting, like how they're doing. And a, a good way to look at that is kind of looking at their uh, weighted on base average and also expected weighted on base average, which is kind of just takes into account, you know, quality of contact you know, launch angle and exit velocity and all that stuff. And, you know, we were both kind of looking at these numbers earlier, um, 
meaning the uh, the main position players on the Cardinals and kind of what they're doing at their pl- at the plate. Is there anything in this area that jumps out at you right now? Yeah, or that surprises yeah, you? Yeah, there there were, there were a few things, and um, you know, I'm really interested in these you know expect these kind of X stats like X woba that are based on this Statcast data. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if there's a scientific consensus on how soon we can, you know, kind of fully buy into these things, but I know that it's quite a bit. Well, I think, I think Trout's leading the league in yeah. war. So maybe that, means yeah. that, you know, I think that's the joke that everything is, everything is stabilized. Um, yeah, yeah. No, but, but I do know, you know, and like you said, so the X Woba, it still does take into account walks and strikeouts and those things, but on batted balls, it's looking at, yeah, launch angle, exit velocity, et cetera. And so it's kind of finding out what should have happened. So it is stripping away a lot of the luck that can kind of, you know, create some, some early noise and just a, a stat like Woba, for example. Um, so, yeah, you know, when I looked at it, I mean, just kind of looking, kind of starting from the top, uh, you know, the, the top hitter right now on the team in ex-WOBA is Harrison Bader. And not only that, he's, um, his, his actual WOBA of 361 is quite a ways under his ex-WOBA of 445. And, uh, I mean, I've been extremely happy with Harrison Bader's results so far, uh, to me. In fact, I was just talking with, uh, former VEB site manager, Ben Humphrey, the other day, just to name drop one of those other Bens. And, you know, we were kind of in agreement that, you know, we felt like Bader so far has basically been kind of the best case Bader of what our expectations were coming into this season. So to then look at this and see that his, you know, his, his ex-WOBA is actually even better uh, than, than what he's been putting up. Um, you know, that's, I, I'm, I'm really becoming more and more of a believer in, you know, Bader being able to, you know, sustain and maybe even somewhat improve on that kind of offensive profile we saw last year. Um, so that was, I mean, that was one that jumped out at me. Was that, was that a surprise to you? It, it was. And I just to kind of echo your thoughts. I've discussed this with uh, several people, both Ben Cerruti and, and Tara on this podcast mm-hmm. that, you know, my expectation for uh, Harrison this year uh was just that, you know, regress at the plate. That's yeah. fine because, you know, I'd, be, I'd kind of become convinced based on a lot of people that I read that what we saw of last year was probably the best of Harrison uh-huh. Bader, meaning the like the best that we might ever see. And I was, frankly, I was like fine yeah. with that. You know, yeah. I was like, you know, if he's if he's an average hitter or, or slightly below average hitter, I can live with right. that because of his defense and, you know, assuming we're getting decent production at the corner yep. spots. Um so yeah, that did surprise me, and it also and it excites me. Like yeah, if, if he if last year is is just kind of like the starting point, then you know who knows what we have on our hands with this guy. Oh, I, I think. No, oh, no sorry, I was, I'm sorry. I was just saying absolutely. No, I'm, I agree with you 100. percent Obviously, the uh, the other thing that jumped out at me was the fact that Colton Wong was kind of the only one who was, I guess. Uh, outperforming his ex-WOBA is that is that a is that a fair way to say it um and which is probably a surprise to no one and you know that's not going to last because we all know he's not going to have an OPS of what 12 it's like 1200 right now um but but I do think it's fair to say we've seen um or that we might be on the cusp of seeing like a, a very, very good Colton Wong. Absolutely. Season. Yeah. And I'm, I, I mean, I've got the, the numbers open in front of me right now and, and his, um, so his, his current Woba is five Oh two, which of course, yeah, that's just ridiculous. But, and his ex Woba is three seventy. Okay. So, well, he's, he's way over for performing that, but you know, the kind of general average they, you know, they say for Woba is about three twenty. So, so a three seventy Woba is still very, very good from Colton Wong. And, um, you know, he, to me, I, I always felt like, you know, when, when you saw him going well, I felt like, you know, that, you know, that could be a, you know, a 115, 120 WRC plus hitter in there. It felt like that guy was in there. You know, he was just never there consistently. And we've kind of seen that guy so far this year. And so, um, you know, probably starting at a bit of a peak, I'm, I'm certainly expecting, you know, there to be a point where he's not going quite as well. But um, I'm really, I'm excited by that. And it's nice to see that, you know, even though his, his expected numbers are a little bit lower than the kind of stratospheric number he's put up so far, it's not like it's one of those things that's just all smoke and mirrors. And, you know, his, his underlying numbers are, are, you know, kind of down where they maybe have been in the past. Yeah, and you mentioned that 320 is kind of like the the average um, 
average woba meaning like if you're above that you're doing better than average if you're below that right. you're slightly below average um, so looking at the numbers that puts um if you meaning looking at x woba i have as as you do right in front of me the only guys who are hovering below that 320 mark are dexter fowler and he's right and he's at 318 so he's basically and i'm talking about x woba and Believe me, I, I I don't think either of us are saying like X Woba is absolutely um, 100% proficient in terms of like this is that means going forward they're going to be this. Uh, in fact, right. especially since one right. we're only 10 games into the season, and two, I think Baseball Prospectus actually had an article about this at some point last year, talking about kind of the relationship with X Woba and um, future mm-hmm. results, which it's not entirely predictive, but it is a pretty good description in terms of like at least like quality of contact but i agree and i think especially this early i think the actual numbers are you know so luck dependent you know i mean you hit you know a hard line drive to an outfielder you know two or three times that's going to make a you know pretty big difference there so yeah uh, and so you have Fowler hovering right around average, at least in terms of Exwoba. You have Yadier Molina um, at three hundred one, and he's hit he hit two doubles tonight. So who knows? Maybe his bat is going to mm-hmm. hopefully start to wake up soon. And then you have Ozuna, probably to the surprise of no one, um, at two ninety two, and that's almost right in line with his Woba as well. So kind of like yeah. what we're seeing is not a mirage so far with right. with Ozuna. He just has not been great uh, last night's laser of a home run notwithstanding right right well and ozuna has been striking out and i mean he i feel like he hasn't been walking really either has he and i mean that's that's all folded into here so this isn't just specifically a you know quality on contact metric too you know it's taking into account all of that and it's kind of been you know system failure on all levels with ozuna in a lot of ways this season so is it fair to say based on like these numbers and what we're looking at how i mentioned that you know, Colton Wong so far is the only one who's kind of outperforming his ex woman He's doing it by a lot, I should probably add. That perhaps mm-hmm. overall, has has the team been unlucky? Are we going to see a breakout soon? Or, or is it just still way too early to even? Who really knows? Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. I don't know. Um, uh, I mean, I, I'd certainly rather see us uh, guys underperforming their ex-woba just in terms of, you know, that makes you feel like if there's regression, it's going to be in the positive direction uh-huh. more so than the negative, or at least, you know, kind of reason to be hopeful about that. Um, I was also, I was really surprised to see uh, Tyler O'Neill's ex-woba is actually quite bad. Um, you know, much worse than I would not, not that, obviously not that he's, you know, necessarily, um, you know, had an amazing season at the plate, but his, uh, his, his Woba is at 266. His ex Woba was at 162, which is basically the lowest of any position player who's had, I think it's the lower, lowest of anyone who's had at least, uh, 10 at bats. So, um, so that's not great. <laughs> um, but, but that's also a really small number of at bats and we're looking at small numbers for everybody, you know, but the, the regulars are into the, you know, 35 to 45 plate appearances. So, you know, some of those backup guys, Jose Martinez is, is not great either, but I don't know. I'm not particularly worried about him yet either. I feel like just haven't seen a, a ton of at bats yet. Yeah. I'm not worried about Jose Martinez either, just because I, I feel as though we have a big enough snapshot of him to know that he, he will hit the ball. Uh, sooner or later Tyler O'Neill yeah. I've always been a little bit down on just on the profile alone of kind of a big strikeout guy now um, we've certainly seen people with that profile uh, you know turn into pretty big success stories whether it be like Javier Baez or even like an Aaron Judge and you know that's really reaching right. I guess for the stars um, right right but Randall Grichuk just signed like a, what, like five-year deal. So uh. I, I saw that. And I think that was kind of my, um, it, you know, I, this is probably isn't fair to Tyler O'Neill. Maybe it's not fair to Randall Grichuk, but I think I kept thinking about Randall Grichuk um, when I would watch Tyler O'Neill and, yeah. you know, and, and believe me, there's absolutely nothing wrong with Randall Grichuk. He was a very, very good player. Um, right. I, I, well, I, that's probably overstating a little bit. He's certainly a serviceable player. He's a, right. a player that could find a starting spot on most, uh, you know, on, on most teams. But you know, he he just kind of had a he, he he's he's a very much t- a 2019 baseball player. Is what, is what yeah. I will say. Yeah. You know, with the rising strikeout rate and stuff like that. 
Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm the, I, I think Ozuna is the one that interests me the most out of this whole group, to be honest. And I'm, he's the one guy that I probably even, and honestly, I feel like he's even maybe moved ahead of Fowler on the, uh, you know, when are they going to, you know, make a change kind of thought in my mind. Um, you know, he just, I mean, his defense, uh, I mean, if it's not unplayable, like, you know, what's your definition of unplayable? I mean, he's, he's got to be right at that line. Um, he doesn't seem that far away from flipping the ball to yeah. uh, Jason Hayward in the right. outfield yeah, so exactly. he can throw it in. Um, I, I think I saw a quote today from Ozuna that basically said his arm was at 55%. Oh, my like, God. Well, that's not good. Like, I don't oh. even know quite what that means. Like, that's – right. Um, you know, I'm sure he's just throwing a number out there. <laughs> I don't think he got that number from a doctor or anything. But well, I was trying. Yeah, I, I I was trying to think last night. I was thinking like, how good would uh, that a left fielder whose defense was that bad? Like, how good would their offense have to be to justify that? And uh, my my four year old son has actually been requesting to watch the uh, 2011 World Series DVD the last couple weeks. Uh, okay. which I have, have graciously uh, put in for him. So that the, narrated by John Hamm. Narrated by John Hamm, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, uh, you know, so I've been watching that. So maybe I, that's why I had like Nelson Cruz on my mind, right? Because that's basically what Nelson Cruz was on that Texas team and every other team that let Nelson Cruz play in the field, right? I mean, Nelson Cruz was pretty much a defensive uh, liability, if not disaster, but he also right. he also hit like Nelson Cruz, you know. Right, and it, poor Nelson Cruz. When you think about 2011, I, I think we all immediately go to um, him. Whether you want to say misplaying or just flat out missing the threes triple, but right. you know, it. I, I believe it was the ALCS that season when he just went insane. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I, I don't think Texas is there without him. Oh, yeah. Well, and he hit, I believe it was game one of the World Series. He hit a two-run home run in the late innings that tied that one up. And, I mean, yeah, he, you know, he was, you know, I feel like he was great at the plate throughout that series and throughout his career, you know. But, I mean, you know, yeah, he played, you know, he played the outfield like a designated hitter. But, but like, you know, I, could, I can 100% understand why you put a guy who hits like Nelson Cruz in a corner outfield spot and just kind of say, well, you know, like yeah. that's kind of how it's going to go. But, I mean, you know, Marcelo Zuna is not hitting like Nelson Cruz. He's hitting like Marcelo Zuna. And that's, you know, like so at what point, you know, at, at what point are they going to stop kind of, you know, envisioning 2017 Marcelo Zuna or, you know, whatever that sort of idyllic vision of what he could do is and, you know, look at what he's actually doing and say, you know, like this is not, you know, uh, you know, this is not worth what he's give, what he's losing us on, on defense. And, you know, and I don't know the answer. Um, and last season, you know, after late in the year and after he had what the cortisone shot in his shoulder, he actually what, you know, did look really, you know, really good. And I mean, he's def he does have skills there. So, I'm not exactly sure when that point is that you, you know, you pull the plug or you make a move there, but I'm just watching it because I feel like it's, uh, you know, it's close. <laughs> yeah. And just going on that quote I, I mentioned earlier alone, I have, I hate to say this, but I have zero confidence that, that at least the arm situation is going to get better. Right. Yeah. 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 And to kind of uh, piggyback on what you said last week, I kind of compared him to, I guess, Matt Holiday. But one, his his defense is worse than Holiday's, yeah. and he doesn't hit as well as Holiday. Right. Yeah. So, so, so I, it's almost like you know, what is his purpose on the team if he's if he can't do either of those things? Right. And right. You know, I, I guess the the answer to that right now is we're on game 11 yeah. and yeah well it's you know his arm is so bad i mean his arm is we've seen i mean obviously we've seen guys who are bad defenders we've seen guys who uh you know who who can't cover a lot of ground and we've seen guys who can't make strong throws uh i mean ozuna can barely throw the ball at all and right you know that's i mean that's something uh you know i mean i, I just i feel like I don't even know what the comp is for what he's doing out there because I can't think of anybody 
um, you know, yeah, again, aside from the occasional, uh, well, you know, the, the, when they tried to hide Pujols out there years back or just, you know, occasionally things like that. Right. But, you know, I, I, I don't think you generally, I, I can't ever remember seeing an outfielder out there day in and day out who had the, just looked physically unable to throw in the way that Marcelo Zuna does. Yeah. And I, I think of like a player like Matt Carpenter, who we all know is not an excellent fielder. Right. Um, and he's over there at third. But, you know, I don't have much anxiety about it because, one, I don't think he's as bad as people think he is. And, right. two, just the ball isn't put in play as often as it used to be. So just the opportunities for him to right. uh, mess up just right. Aren't, right. aren't as there as they used to be, although he did have an error earlier in this game. Um, right. But but left field, I feel, is kind of different with, with everyone kind of, you know, kind of trying to hit up on the ball, you know, a lot more fly balls to the outfield. Yeah. Um, Am I wrong in that analysis? Um, I don't know. I, no, you're, I, I think I, I think that's exactly the thing to be wondering about. And I think probably it's – honestly, his defense probably doesn't hurt the team as bad as it feels like it does to us every time we see, you know, a runner easily advance from second to third on a, you know, fly ball that's like midway into left field or, you know, the kind of thing like that. Because we see that and we're like, oh, my gosh, that's terrible. But – but like, how many times is that, you know, does that happen like two or three times a week or, you know, I mean, it's, it doesn't, you know, it still doesn't happen all that often. Um, I mean, I remember reading that in uh, three nights in August, the Buzz Bissinger book about um, that, uh, that, that, you know, Cardinals Cubs series that came out years ago. And, yeah. and that, you know, did you, I assume, did you read that one? Yeah, I did. Cause that's the one for me where that was the most detail I ever saw into that period of time where, you know, Pools was out there and it's at that point where that kind of that first point where they're like, oh, geez, he might need Tommy John surgery and mm-hmm. he couldn't throw at all. And and but he was out there in left field. And for I, I want to say it was like a week or something. He was out there like that with the idea that he would just like sort of, you know, underhanded in or, you know, they had these kind of various plans and plays. I think Edgar and Aria, you know, was supposed to just like just run as far as he could out there to you know get the ball or whatever. And it just turned out that the ball just never really went to him. So it was almost like no one even noticed really at the time, um, you know. So I it, I think that also just informs this idea that, you know, maybe there's just not that many plays that it, you know, comes in on. And if, you know, his offensive potential, even if though he hasn't done it thus far, is enough better than what you feel like your league average or your replacement options are going to be, you know, maybe it makes sense. But, I mean, I'm I'm certainly watching and wondering. The the Pujols thing was always funny to me because obviously that's the type of bat that you'll live with anywhere, oh, um, yeah. regardless of his defense. But also, like I, I always thought, like Larusa was one of the few people who would ever have the confidence to even try and pull that off. Oh yeah, a hundred percent. <laughs> of, of, of just like having an outfielder who had no intention of throwing the ball yeah. and playing him regularly. Like, I feel like that's a, even, you know, we saw Matheny do it with, yeah. uh, with, I guess, Grichik, but I don't know. It seemed like such a La Russa oh, yeah. uh, thing to do. Oh yeah. I mean, that's, and that's what I loved about and, I mean, he drove me crazy sometimes watching him, but oh my gosh, I loved having La Russa as a manager because I mean, he was an insane person who would do anything imaginable to win a baseball game. Um, and, and yeah, he would go in those directions that no one else would think of. I also always think about there was a, a end of a, you know, one of McGuire's many, you know, injury plagued seasons in St. Louis where I don't know if you remember this, but there was a, a several week stretch where uh, when they were on the road and he started Mark McGuire ostensibly at second base and uh, had him that in the first inning. And he'd never take the field, but he essentially used his pinch hit at bat in the first inning, you know, when he knew he'd come up. And, you know, again, it's just like, who would think outside the box like that? Um, right. You know, but uh, Tony La Russa would. No, I, I think what I miss about La Russa, and, and like you said, he he was not perfect. He drove me insane. Um, and not just in the later years. I, I right. think he drove us all pretty much crazy from the moment he got here until he left. Uh, but what I really liked about him is that he seemed to know how to manage a full season Um, meaning he knew how to get a team ready to play the series in front of them yeah Um, and he he kind of was a master at that no we just methodically try to win each series and then that will pay off by the time we get to game 162 absolutely Um, you know you know they seem like they would have these like you know stretches 
where they would never win like all of a sudden just rip off 12 wins in a row. No, they would just like go like 16 and 11 every month or you yeah. know 15 and 12. Yeah. And, you know, by the time the season's over, they're in first place. Oh, yeah. Because they just kind of outlasted everyone. And I thought I saw that was kind of like the genius of La Russa, is He really knew how to. It's like if you're running a marathon mm-hmm. and you're on mile three, you're not thinking about mile 26. You're thinking about getting to mile four. And I always thought, yeah, like that's kind of how La Russa managed Oh yeah. Yeah. If J- you know, Jason Marquis could have, you know, given up six runs with one out in the second inning and he'd go out to the mound and say, well, you're going to stay out here and throw a hundred more pitches and you know, <laughs> we're going to lose this one, but we'll win tomorrow. So that was a, a very LaRusa move. I, but I, you know, just to kind of tie it back in though, a little bit with uh, thinking about Schilt and LaRusa and Nozuna, I, you know, I, it's funny cause I've been thinking about, uh, you know, that first thing that Tony LaRusa did when he showed up was bench Ozzie Smith, essentially, you know, I mean, that was one of his kind of first, you know, first moves was to essentially move him, you know, so you're not the starter anymore and put, you know, Royce Clayton in there, which I always thought was just totally a like, you know, show up to prison and punch the biggest guy in the mouth on the yard kind of, you know, move to like establish your dominance. Um, but also I'm sure it was what he felt he had to do at the time and whether he was right about that or not, you know, I don't know, but, um, but that was a very strong kind of take charge. I, you know, I'm, you know, I'm the leader here kind of thing that Tony La Russa did. Uh, Schilt, who I absolutely love unequivocally, my one kind of thing in the back of my mind with him is we haven't seen him necessarily have to make that semi unpopular move yet, you know? Um, and you know, there's a few veteran type guys on this team, Marcelo Zuna, Dexter Fowler, Adam Wainwright, frankly, who you you can see a situation where, you know, these, he may have to say, you know, we're going in another direction here. And, uh, and I don't know that he, uh, anyway, I guess I'm, what I'm saying is I'm interested to see him do that because he's very much been in a honeymoon period and he's very much been able to be like, I'm, I'm supporting my guys and I'm kind of doing all this. I don't think he's had to make that kind of a move yet. Has he, I, I don't, I can't think no. of what he has and I'm interested to see when he does. I, I would also add, uh, it, it's a little bit different, but just the presence of Yadier Molina and, and being able to tell him, look, you're not going to play 145 yeah. games this season. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. Um, especially now that we have uh, Weeders on the, on the roster. Yeah, well, and and if Yadi keeps hitting the way he's hitting, you know, which is not, you know, I mean, you, you, he's still your starter. I mean, at Tony Lewis, I think famously said, you know, Yadi could go over the season and he'd still be my starter, right? <laughs> um, you know, and I think that's still largely the case. But yeah, no, that's another great point. And whether it's this year or next year, right? There's at some point Yadi's got to take a little bit of a step back. And um, yeah, yeah, how will he? And regarding show, I feel like there's been a few things this season so far that we would have absolutely crushed Matheny for um, if it was at this point last year. But I think the difference is our frustrations with Matheny, there was history there because we knew that we knew who he was. And and we don't know. We haven't yet seen if like, you know, Shill has some sort of, you know, look, it's early in the season. I'm working with these guys. I'm working with their confidence you know, stuff like that. Whereas, mm-hmm. you know, in game 15 uh, of last season, if Matheny left a starter in for an inning too long, we knew it had probably nothing to do with that, but more just that he's bad at managing the bullpen, bad, bad at knowing when to pull the starter. Right, right. So I'm, so I guess what I'm saying is I'm still willing to give Schill a few more passes on the things that we absolutely would have, I think, filleted Matheny for, like, uh, you know. right. That, I've already forgotten them as, as you know, we move on to the next game, but there there's been a few times this season where I feel like, yeah, you could probably go get that starter now. Right. But you know, even with Matheny and I, I don't know, I, I feel like I was a couple years in on Matheny before I really turned on him. I mean, I do feel like I, you know, early on I had patience and I had, you know, I, I don't think I'm an especially reactionary fan. And so you know, like, yeah, it's like sometimes you leave the starter in too long. Sometimes you pull the wrong guy from the bullpen. It's 162 games, you know, like I, I don't sweat, you know, individual moves that much. But but especially by the end with Matheny, it was just like, oh, my God, you'd seen the same, you know, you'd just seen the same mistakes like time after time after time. And he was, you know, it was almost like he was, you know, doubling down on his, you know, own obstinance. And I mean, I don't know, just it was, yeah, it was a different different situation. And I'm very glad it's over. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, frankly, me too. But um, I would also point out, I, I didn't turn on, I didn't totally turn on Matheny until much later than everyone else. And it probably wasn't until he kind of had that spat with, kind of like passive aggressive spat with Yadier Molina. Um, and, and not necessarily because I thought, you know, he was totally in the wrong and Molina was in the right. But because it became clear to me that the one thing I thought maybe Matheny was good at mm-hmm that he probably wasn't even good at that, which was, you know, work in the locker room and, and knowing how to get the guys ready and stuff like right. that. And I thought that was kind of the first sign of like, oh, no, like if you don't have Yadier Molina, then then I don't know if you can manage this Yeah, team. yeah. You know, I honestly, and not to get into Matheny too much, but I, I know exactly the moment that I, that I just – fully turned on him and it was uh october of 2014 with the game on the line against the san francisco giants <laughs> when he called on michael Walker, who hadn't pitched in uh i don't remember how many months at that point uh and you know obviously in the moment we were all like what on earth are you doing that's the most insane thing ever but but even more than that i remember a week or two later i believe it was Derek gould i heard and i feel like i heard it so i feel like it was on some podcast but he sort of mentioned like asking Matheny about that and kind of saying like, you know, well, didn't, you know, did, did you consider the fact that like you, you were putting him in at a moment that, you know, could end the season or, you know, kind of that. And Matheny was like, Oh, you know, I didn't know. I never thought about that. And his whole explanation was like, you know, basically he had, you know, he had roles for everybody in the bullpen and, one guy had, you know, wasn't available. And so Waka was slotted into that guy's role. It was just like, it, it just so revealed to me the, just like lack of kind of, you know, critical thinking and just, you know, anyway, that was, that was, that was the end of the line for me. So. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, it wasn't it was not good. good. <laughs> that was a really bad, bad. There's, there's not many like um, famously yeah. bad managerial moves. I mean, next to the like Zach Britton thing in the like division. I mean, is there another Right, that's, that's what I was about to bring up the Schultz Walker. Yeah, that's the most famous one. I'm still mystified by that. Um, right. Yeah. I mean, so like that's maybe the most famous bad managerial move in the last ten years. But that Matheny one's probably like number two, and you know, like that's not a that's not a great list to be uh, <laughs> to be on. I, I think I think Leach wrote after that game that you know did Matheny not realize, and this is kind of your point, did he not realize like there is no tomorrow if you lose this game? He was, yeah. he was managing like he had all the time in the world. Um, and it's like, no, like yeah. this is do or die right here. But uh, speaking of bad, uh, Ben, I'm, I'm curious your thoughts on this. Um, do the Cubs suck? Uh, do we, is there a chance they suck? I mean, they are what? I think they're three and seven, um, which again, we're, we're 10 games in the season. Every team in the league is going to have at least a, a three and seven stretch, if not worse than that, probably worse than that. Um, but their playoff uh, chances, according to Fangrass, are already down to like 42%, which, you know, I debated earlier whether or not we should even care about that 10 games in the season. But that shocks me as a team that has like averaged 96, 97 wins over the last four seasons has pretty much been the force in the NL Central. Um, mm-hmm. are are they bad? Do we know if, do we know enough yet to say they're bad or or at least not that good? Yeah. Well, I would I would preface this by saying that I am I am not a reliable source on whether or not the Cubs suck because I so desperately want them to suck that I will attach myself to any data points that point in that direction. And uh, when they commit six errors in a game, I will watch, uh, you know, compilation videos of those errors repeatedly, uh, you know, at my desk the next day. Um, so, so I would put that caveat on everything, but um, I think they, I think they might suck a little bit. Um my thing, you know, I thought it was really interesting coming into this season and I, and, you know, obviously everybody, the NL central is stacked and um, I, I, it interested me that uh, the zips projections had the Cubs winning, uh, you know, with like 90 wins or something like that. Cardinals with 88 wins and the Brewers like around 500. And then the baseball prospectus, 
uh, Pakoda forecast kind of famously had, uh, you know, the Cubs down, I think even a little below 500 with the Brewers at like 90 wins and, you know, the Cardinals who were like, uh, I think someone said on Twitter, I don't think this is my line engineered in a lab to win 88 games. Right. Which is kind of like, that's kind of John Moseliak's like, you know, he's, he's finally achieved, you know, perfection by, you know, engineering that. But, but saying the Carlos, what I thought was interesting about that. And, and, and the, the thing about those two projections that I thought sp- spoke to the nature of the division a little bit, at least as I saw it is the one thing I feel really confident about the Cardinals is their depth. I really do feel like there's a lot of depth there, especially on the pitching side. Um, you know, when you look at the guys that they have, even in triple a to say nothing of the Carlos Martinez's and the Alex Reyes's and people like that, they're kind of in that semi injured cloud, but coming back, um, tons of depth, even on the position player side, you know, and obviously the corner outfielders aren't doing great, but you know, uh, Jose Martinez and Tyler O'Neill are pretty outstanding fourth and fifth outfielder types. Cardinals have a ton of depth. So of all of those teams, I feel like your error bars on the Cardinals have got to be about the smallest. And I think that's why all these projection systems had them at exactly 88 wins. The Cubs and the Brewers, on the other hand, I think have a lot of high-end talent. And either of those teams had the potential to be, you know, to easily win the division. But I, but I don't see the depth on those teams. And I see a lot more room for, you know, potential disaster. And on the Cubs, frankly, it was always going to be on the pitching side. You know, they're, I mean, their their bullpen's kind of, you know, no, nobody really spectacular in their bullpen. And, you know, that rotation, I mean, my gosh, I mean, as great as their, you know, organization has supposedly been for these last few years, they, they have not developed pitching at all. And so, you know, you looked at that rotation coming into the year and you could make an argument, you know, or you could see a way that every one of those guys could have been good. You could see a way that you Darvish has a bounce back season and you could see a way that, um, you know, Quintana is, you know, good and, you know, all, the, all down the line, you could certainly, see, you know, Cole Hamels continues to kind of have a little bit of a career resurgence. You could, you could see each of those things happening and there was a dice roll where all of those things happened, but it kind of feels like we're on the dice roll where none of those things are happening. And, and I think that's sort of legitimately troubling. Um, I don't know. What do you, what do you think of the Cubs? Well, their offense certainly looks pretty good. I mean, runs. Um, and so I, I think that'll, you know, carry them in terms of winning some games that they probably shouldn't based on their pitching. But so Lester hit the, uh, injured, injured list today, I believe Um, it it might be a short stint and they, you know, it could just be one start, um, which, you know, if that's the case and you can easily do that with a, a 10 day, uh, 10 day mm-hmm. injury list. Um, but, but if Darvish looks broken, I mean, I don't, I don't know how, how else to yeah. say it other, other than that. Right. I mean, he, he seems to have, uh, be nowhere near the zone. Um, right. The, the bullpen and was especially bad and predictably bad. I mean, this is what their fans were screaming about all off season. And, you know, if, uh, if there was ever a reason for Cardinals fans to be upset about, upset at management, man, Cubs fans, I would be furious if I was a Cubs fan and watched this off season unfold while the team almost like cried poor when we all know that's not, that's, that's not the case. Um, so like you, I certainly want them to suck. Um, mm-hmm. I think, you know, also kind of like what you said, there could be a Murphy's law thing going on where everything just breaks bad and they end up winning, you know, 78 games. Uh, and yeah, you know, I don't know if that would be uh, bad enough to finish in last place. Certainly, the Reds are off to a dreadful start as well. But that obviously yeah. would not be anywhere near where their fans want them to be. Um, so I, I, I don't know, but I do know that they are no longer. You know, they had like a two-year run, three-year run, mm-hmm. where they were like, "Oh, this is the class of the NL." You know, and it looked like that was going to be the case for the foreseeable future. And I, I don't feel that way about them at all anymore. No, absolutely not. And, you know, and they, they emptied that system. I mean, they emptied that system. And, you know, I think, you know, I mean, I mean, they, you know, Eloy Jimenez and uh, Glabar Torres, and I mean, they emptied that system. And, and I get it, you know, if you haven't won a World Series in 108 years, I mean, you know, I, I understand where you kind of make that push 
for, you know, and specifically, I guess, the, the Torres Chapman kind of trade, you know, that they did there. But then, you know, the, the you know, the, the Jimenez trade and, and just some of the other moves that they've made, um, you know, I don't, I mean, it's just, I, it doesn't, and I think we as Cardinals fans, I think, take somewhat for granted the way that Mo and our front office builds a team to win every single season. And I know it gets frustrating when you hear that year in and year out, and it's kind of almost an excuse for not maybe pushing just that extra bit more. But at the same time, I look at a a team like the Cubs and I see like, well, here's an organization that just seems like they don't understand how to do that. Because even if they rebound this year and they're, you know, and, and they're a very good team this year and, you know, and maybe another year or so, I mean, they're, they're, they're they're obviously moving towards a you know some sort of a you know a cliff and a rebuild i think i mean there it just doesn't seem like there's a lot of talent there in their system they can't develop pitching um you know those are those are eventually going to be issues but it's almost looking like it could be an issue as soon as this season at least i desperately hope so Speaking of which, uh, with regard to Chris Bryant, um, you know, he's probably the most famous example of a player whose uh, service time was manipulated. Um, if this isn't fixed in the next CBA, and I, I would have to think it would be, but let's say it's not. Um, right. Am I, am I naive to think that there's a way where it could kind of police itself in that just from a goodwill perspective, if, if like the agents of these players and players themselves are saying like, if you want to manipulate, if you want to do that to me, that's fine, but you're really going to have to go the extra mile to sign me or just flat out. You will not be, you will not be signing me when I'm a a free agent. Um, Is that, is that a naive way to look at it? Like uh, it doesn't quite work that way. Or I mean, cause I feel like I would react that way. Like, okay, fine. I'm not going to be very friendly to you when it comes time to sit down at the bargaining table. Yeah, but, you know, I guess the thing I wonder is, you know, is there even, you know, is there even going to be a bargaining table? You know, you look at like a Chris Bryant and yeah, they pushed his service time back. So he was what, like, he was, I think, 23 when he debuted as a rookie. That's right. Right. Yeah, I think that sounds right. So he was already a guy and he's a guy that they're going to get seven years of club control out of because of the manipulation, right? So he's going to be like 30 when he's a free agent. I think I'm more or less, I mean, I may be off a little bit, but I think I'm more or less right on this. And um, actually, it's interesting. I actually looked at the Cubs ex-WOBA numbers. And, um, you know, I mean, their offense is incredible and they all look really good, except for Chris Bryant, you know. His are kind of down too. And and honestly, Chris Bryant to me, who who obviously, I mean, he won an MVP, like really, really talented player. But he's also got that kind of like big Richie Sexton type body that like, Mm -hmm. you know what? Like, I don't know that that's going to age particularly well. And he could be 30 and be, you know what I mean, uh, sort of, like platoon DH kind of player uh, very well. And so that, that's the thing to me where if we're, uh, I I just, I feel like we're moving into, um, and some of it I think is the sort of steroid era, maybe allow guys to perform to an older age over, you know, a larger percentage of players to perform well into their thirties that they retained some of that value that maybe made this system make sense. But, you know um, it just seems like owners are kind of getting wise to the fact that, the most valuable time they get out of these players is those, you know, first six years or whatever of club control. And by the time you're, you're signing guys to free agent deals, you, you know, it's there. A lot of those guys aren't even going to perform as well as the, the kind of, you know, uh, lesser guys, seemingly lesser guys that you might be able to even just bring up from a, you know, a, a well managed system. So yeah. I don't know. Yeah. No, it's going to be interesting to see how they try and fix this um, when yeah. they get the chance to do that. Uh, but ooh, I'm, I'm looking at the time, and we have gone uh, later than uh, we normally do. Oh, oops. Uh, no, no, this was, this has been a lot of fun. As you, uh, as most of you know, at the end of an episode, I, I usually do a uh, what we call a chirp of the week. But if you read Ben, you know this sort of thing is right in his wheelhouse. So I'm going to turn it over to him uh, for this episode's chirp of the week. Well, hey, thanks. And I, I was, I was actually honored when you asked me to come up with this because as a as a listener to the podcast, I always enjoy your chirp of the week very much. So um, Thank I, you. I was very flattered when you asked me to do this. So, but it also put the pressure on me to try and come up with something good. Uh, and the, I don't know if this is good or not, but the thing that sort of jumped out to me. And it's more of a kind of observation that's been in my mind uh, watching Adam Wainwright this season 
And he just keeps reminding me of uh, Pedro Martinez with the Philadelphia Phillies. And so if I don't know how well people remember, um, remember that uh, period of his, of his career, uh, it really captured my imagination or just my interest that, that season there. Um, but, uh, Pedro, uh, his 2008 was his last season, um, with the Mets. I think he was at a four year deal there after he left the Red Sox and, you know, his Mets career was, well, you know, he had basically kind of regressed to like, okay, you know, um, his first year or so was, he was still pretty good, but, you know, by the end of his time there, you know, he was looking kind of long in the tooth. Um, so that off season, he was unsigned. He actually played in the world baseball classic for the Dominican Republic, trying to kind of showcase himself. Um, but he only, uh, they were actually eliminated very early. He only pitched in one game, went two innings, three hits, one walk, two earned runs. So not much of a performance there. And so Pedro sat unsigned until July 15th when uh, the Phillies signed him to kind of bolster a, a sort of weakened rotation, uh, you know, heading into the playoffs. So he joined the rotation on August 12th of 2009. And I was just looking back at some of the news articles from that time. And uh, Ryan Howard uh, had a quote. He said, guys like Jamie Moyer have shown that you don't have to throw hard to be effective. And, uh, David Wright said, whether he throws 95 or 89, he's going to find a way to get guys out. Doesn't that just kind of remind you of what guys are saying about Wainwright right now? Um, I don't know. It, it, you know, it's it's that kind of thing. And, and, and that's what fascinated me watching that sort of late period Pedro is it was like, here's a guy who I remember just having, honestly, the filthiest stuff probably I've ever seen. I, I don't know that I've ever seen a pitcher Clemens maybe, but just in terms of just absolute filth, like peak Pedro, you were just like, like no one can hit this. Like he's, you know, he's untouchable and he didn't have that stuff. And so he had to kind of go out there just on, you know, guile and, and whatnot. And it was fascinating to watch, um, but it wasn't always good. <laughs> and so, um, so he started, uh, uh, let's see here. And uh, oh gosh, he, so he had nine starts. So he had nine starts uh, through the end of that season. Um, and his, uh, game score, which kind of measures how good each start was. Um, he only had three that were above 50, which is exact, exactly average. So, uh, you know, he was good a few times, but, you know, uh, he had an outing of, you know, four innings pitch, two strikeouts, two home runs. Um, again, sounds a lot like what we've been seeing with Adam Wainwright for the last couple of years to me. Um, and then of course in that postseason. um, you know, Pedro was still in the roster. He didn't pitch in the NLDS. He came out in the NLCS, had a great game. Um, he pitched seven innings, gave up no earned runs. Um, but then in the World Series that year, uh, he pitched twice, uh, lost both times, total of 10 innings pitched, seven earned runs, three homers. His last outing of his career was a game six loss to the Yankees. Um, I looked up an article on it. Apparently he was topping out that night at 84 miles an hour, um, you know, still, oh, wow. oh, still trying to do his thing, but just, you know, it just, it just wasn't there. And, uh, and that was, that was the end of it. And that was kind of the end of uh, the end of Pedro. So um, I don't know. Um, I don't have like a conclusion that ties this all together or like, what does this mean for Adam Wainwright? But it just, it reminds me so much of what we're seeing with Wainwright and, you know, I guess I'm just curious where it goes with, uh, with Adam and, um, you know, can he, can he string together enough of these starts? Like we kind of saw in his second start of the season, um, you know, where he's able to be effective with the stuff he has, or, you know, is it going to be peppered with a lot of starts like his first start of the season where it just, you know, I mean, uh, you know, his stuff's not doing anything and he's not hitting his locations. And, um, yeah, so I don't know. That's, uh, I guess that's the the a, 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 just a note of uh, I don't know I wonder I wonder where this is going to go but that's just the, the comp to me that I just keep thinking about whenever I see Wainwright out there. Well, like like uh, Pedro, I would love nothing more than to see Wainwright be able to go out um, in his last season uh, in the postseason. Um, yes, yes, that would be wonderful. I would love nothing more than to have him have just some wonderful moment. Uh, I, I don't know. Uh, I, I, not that he got cheated, but it, it's still like 2011 was right. the perfect baseball season, uh, basically from, 
from everywhere you look at it, but for the fact that Wainwright was on the sideline for that. Yeah. So I always would love to see him get one more uh, just wonderful moment. Um, even though, like you said, with Pedro, it didn't, it didn't quite happen. But even if it's um, him kind of going down swinging uh, mm-hmm. with whatever else he has left, yeah. uh, I think that would be kind of cool. I agree. I agree. Let's hope for that. And honestly, without, you know, even having been in the playoffs for the last few years, uh, you know, if the Cardinals lose in game six of the World Series, I'm not going to consider this a disappointing season by any means. So <laughs> I wouldn't either. I'd be pretty happy, actually. Um, but ben, this was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for uh, coming on. Oh, hey, thank you so much for having me. It was a, it was a blast. And as a uh, longtime listener, first time guest, I yeah appreciate the chance to be on. Appreciate that. Uh, everyone read should be reading Ben at Viva Alberto's. He writes great stuff, and uh, I believe you can follow Ben at Twitter. You, ben, tell me if I get this wrong, but it's just at Ben Godar. That's B E N G O D A R. Yes, absolutely. I tried to uh, you know unify all elements of my personal brand under uh, Ben Godar. So. Perfect. Um, this has been episode twenty-three of uh, Chirps. Tara should be. Uh, back next week hopefully sometime in the future we'll have Ben back again soon and uh, thank you all for listening